that's the first time i failed in life you know otherwise i was the guy with the midas touch you know you open a restaurant and suddenly you know you win the best restaurant of the year and whatever you're doing sort of seems to be the talk of the town you're the youngest and the highest paid executive chef in the country for a five star hotel you're handling three hotels when you're 26 years old so yeah i mean i hadn't seen failure till then this season on no sugar code we're going back to where it all started food I'm sitting down with the Mavericks of the culinary space to talk about their journeys, the drive required to follow a passion and what makes a food business successful. I'm Pooja Dingra, chef and founder of Love 15 Patisserie. Welcome to my podcast No Sugar Code, where the sugar stays in the kitchen and out of the conversation. From cooking in the langar at age 16 to becoming one of the youngest executive chefs of a five-star hotel in India by 26. Now a household name. Today's guest is none other than MasterChef India judge Chef Ranveer Brar. With over 35 restaurants to his name, he helps us understand why the term celebrity chef is deeply misunderstood and how the concept of a restaurant chef is changing. You are Chef Ranveer Brar to tell us more. Hi chef, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very much. This was long due and I'm yes. just glad we could finally do it. I could finally do it. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so my lockdown memory, my biggest lockdown memory is me walking into my dad's room and YouTube is on and your voice is just playing in the background. Like that is just like what he's done the whole lockdown and we ate the most amazing food. So thank you very much for that. And um, you were even kind enough to come to the studio and cook chicken curry with him and that was like his biggest you know he sent it to all his whatsapp groups and you know like picture with chef and you know and that's what you're you're extremely thoughtful and kind and I'm very grateful for that yeah, the least we can do your journey with food began with your family at home and cooking at the langar in the gurdwara you would visit with your grandfather do you still cook daily meals for your family and what are their most favorite meals that you cook actually I stopped cooking daily meals till the lockdown. <laughs> really? You know? Yeah, because you sort of get busy with your work, and you sort of think you've evolved to now. I'm not going to cook dal chawal anymore, right? I'm going to cook restaurant style food, or I'm going to evolve um, my thought and cook creative and so on and so forth. But lockdown did that for me too. It made me appreciate the difficulty in cooking the simplest dishes. because there's nothing to hide behind mm-hmm. there's no complicated 12 15 ingredients it's all right there you know and that's what i discovered in lockdown and that's where i feel people also connected once you sort of are able to simplify your cooking or once you're able to put your cooking in a simplified way across to people that makes a difference so yeah ever since lockdown i love cooking simple things There's an episode where I'm just cooking. We recently shot. I said, "Okay, I want to cook some dal chawal," and they said, "Okay, wait, we'll roll." So I didn't say a word. <laughs> they just shot me for four hours. Me four hours. just cooking dal chawal. <laughs> every day cooking is really, really important for every chef to connect to food in the most basic form. But to go back a little bit, your family actually wanted you to do a career in engineering, medicine, or defense, and you actually even cleared the NDA exam. But what made you pursue a career in the food industry? Stupid stubbornness, <laughs> saying, "Oh, I will not do what you want me to do." My dad is an engineer, so you know, it's very obvious choice. Half of the family was in the army. Grandfather is in the army, so army was also a very obvious choice. And I just felt that I just did not want to do what was the obvious choice. 
And when you're at that age, you anyways don't want to listen to anybody. So it wasn't really a vision or some sorts or whatever. You know, having a career in food wasn't even as mainstream and accepted as it is today. So what were some of the challenges like when you told them about it? Pehle to samjhana hi padta tha na. You know, in a tier two town, you had to explain what a chef was and what he did, and it used to be like either you were laughed at or people were scared. Ki yar, hamari kya izzat reh jayegi? Matlab kuch to hamare baare mein bhi socho na. It was one of the two. In our case, it was हमारी क्या इज्जत रह जाएगी because we are like these landlords from Punjab and so on and so forth. But then the fact that it made everybody uncomfortable was my motivation to do it anyways. Really? Yeah. And never at any point were you like, is this the right thing for All me? All the time. <laughs> All the time. First three years were like hell. See, after I decided to do it, they said, hey, you know what? It's just infatuation. You'll get over it. I'm like, no. and then i started working with this kebab vendor and every day was hell cuz it's not how you grew up right you he would not say a word saying koila sukha do sukh gaya niche dal do agle din sukha do niche dal do sukha do niche dal do so you grown up with a different mindset with people speaking differently to you logic and all that you were allowed to question here there was nothing you just had to surrender it's very painful but the thing was that because i was a stubborn kid i said i will stick to it it's just about taking responsibility for the stupidest of actions then you fall in love and you know you've said that kitchens are the best business schools and you've cooked in your fair share of kitchens across the world what is the most valuable lesson about business that you've learned from these kitchens the biggest lesson that i have learned is that any business that you do it has to be driven need backwards a lot of times as creative people as chefs what we have to say becomes really important whether the consumer wants to listen to it at that point in time i think that becomes irrelevant and that reduces the chances of success you know there are breakouts with that model as well where you give the world something completely and utterly new but what i've learned is you know you got to always listen and always solve for something don't just create out of because i want to do this and i am the best so kind is. of leaving the ego aside and actually understanding yeah, what i didn't want to use that word but yeah it's basically <laughs> leaving the ego aside and listening listening any business needs to listen i feel like i should start taking notes <laughs> so chef you've talked about the importance of understanding the macroeconomics of food for budding chefs and food entrepreneurs do you think that culinary schools and hospitality education in general is lacking in this area and how do you think they can improve I think culinary schools and hospitality institutes are lacking in three aspects especially around food one is the cultural connotation and the cultural seats of cuisine are not explored there is a logical cultural evolution to food that needs to be spoken about for people to unlock many small questions and problems about food that uh, they have and most of them get solved saying oh oh okay so samosa came from there it became bigger because we put potatoes in it because you know meat samosas are smaller now we're putting something that has come to india we're putting something vegetarian we need to make it filling it became bigger so things get answered if you're able to understand the cultural evolution of food i think that's lacking one macroeconomics definitely when i say macroeconomics i mean the global economy of food is something that we never speak about we don't speak enough about food spoilage globally food wastage we don't speak about 
agriculture. We don't speak about monocropping. We don't speak about agriculture and its impact on climate change, on uh, water levels, overall agriculture and ecosystem imbalance that we are creating, particularly because of singular demand. We don't speak about it at all. You know, we start with the ingredient when it comes to our kitchen and we start talking about it. I think as chefs, we need to understand the ingredient before it comes into our kitchen. 80% of our ecological problems are because of what's on our plate. It's basically that. We are creating an imbalance on the plate, which is causing an ecological imbalance, which needs to be spoken about at a broader macroeconomy versus demand conversation. So, yes, mm. I think that conversation needs to happen in catering and culinary schools. The third thing I feel that does not happen enough is celebration of our own mm. food. Very often, because our kitchens are structured the French way, our culinary education is structured the Escoffier way, mm. it's easy to break it down. It's easy to explain. Sometimes we take the shortcut of just using that and basing more or most of our examples in the West. We don't use examples from our kitchens as often to explain concepts, to explain kitchen organization, to explain the basics. I mean, a lot of it is we are to blame because we don't have those books. We didn't have an Escoffier who put it all together. But is it even possible to do that for Indian? The whole thing is, for the longest time, India was an idea, right? So to say this is Indian and this is the Indian way of doing things and this is the Indian book of doing things, it's not possible because there are many beautiful Indias in one India. So it is difficult and that's why most of the time we take the shortcut. <laughs> so you've been described as a polymath, an anti-specialist with no partiality to any specific cuisine or style, but a wide range of experience. Do you think that's an advantage or do you think it's better to have a speciality? So... I'd like to think that I sort of specialize in food from Lucknow. But you're right. I have no um, hesitation in doing chocolate sculptures or sugar sculptures. I mean, I've cooked with Antonio Carluccio, run Italian restaurants. I've represented India at the World Pastry Forum. What I'm trying to say is that, you know, I don't know if becoming specialized stops you from discovering a broader connect with food, then there's no point being specialized. That's what I always lived by. I always let myself flow and never really stopped myself from learning anything, whether it's car repair or chocolate work. And so when you started out, was it always like this? Like in the kitchen where you were like, okay, let me just go with yeah, what yeah. calls me and then I'll figure it out. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I used to finish my 12 hours in my kitchen and then spend four hours in some other kitchen. That's incredible. Just doing something that... I mean, I just did it out of whim. Gradually, you start liking it. And then when you start applying it back into what you do, that's when the fun starts, right? And I think this is the stuff that people don't really see or know or when they see it from the outside. I'm just saying, like, it's a lot of hard work and discipline that goes no, into it. Yeah, not discipline craft. as much for me. <laughs> <laughs> 12 hours and then 4 hours, it's discipline, yeah, no, it's You're being too humble. Whim. It's whim. You've seen great financial adversity in your career, facing bankruptcy and homelessness as a result of that. And those experiences would be enough to defeat even the strongest of people. But you rose up and built yourself and your business back up. How did you cross those hurdles at that time and not lose faith even in the toughest moments of adversity? No, I lost faith. <laughs> and I didn't cross all the hurdles by myself. Can you take me through that? Yeah, sure. That's the first time I failed in life. 
you know otherwise i was the guy with the midas touch you know you open a restaurant and suddenly you know you win the best restaurant of the year and whatever you're doing sort of seems to be the talk of the town you're the youngest and the highest paid executive chef in the country for a five star hotel you're handling three hotels when you're 26 years old so yeah i mean i hadn't seen failure till then i just assumed that you know and so for me to handle failure the first time was very difficult you know the only thing that i realized worked for me was coincidences in people right sometimes when you really really down somebody would call you and say hey chef you know what i'm now the corporate chef for this chain of restaurants in the uk you remember you gave me a job when you were at the clarages i wouldn't even remember the guy but that sort of makes you believe saying hey, it's not that bad but at that moment in time do you believe that yeah no when you actually going through sometimes you just need a little bit of push from the right places and that push comes from the work that you put in before that and it comes from people see the quality of our life is directly proportional to the quality of our relationships not the number of relationships but the quality of our relationships so people who sort of made me stand back on my feet were the people who i don't know somewhere connected with me i didn't even realize that they connected with me or i knew that they were connected with me i was too shy to ask for help they'd call me they'd sense that something's wrong they just speak to me for hours and that's how i sort of stood back when you stand back then you realize that there's only two things that matter people and the skill in your hand and if you have that then the lowest of lows can't really pull you down so that was the first time that you failed and then after that how did that kind of shape you to face failure adversity the way it shaped me was to sort of i uh, became insensitive towards it now it doesn't matter at all you're watching it from a distance from a all distance, the time yeah. you, you don't, don't attach yourself too much to yeah. the victories so that's how it changed for me my next question was going to be that right like the restaurant world is a hard world you know and not all of them survive you've yourself opened numerous restaurants in your career what do you think were your biggest challenges there like i said my biggest challenge was one understanding what people want at that point in time sometimes you're ahead of your time the second biggest challenge was to be able to um, communicate through a concept you know a lot of times it's easier when you believe in communication when you're doing this in front of the camera whether you're acting or you you believe in the power of the word mm. you know what it is and you know how to communicate it but then you're not there now it's your restaurant now you need to communicate the essence of what you're trying to do that i think is one of the biggest challenges that i still face my restaurants don't speak as well as i do with various touch points how do you bring it together how do you put it together that it speaks without you having to speak for it i'm also a work in progress right but what i've learned is over a period of time one it's the people you put on it that includes the partners that you have for it two it is branding marketing and communication that's primarily what it is because while food is something that people will taste when they come over news is something that they will read even before they come over to the restaurant so a lot of synergy on branding marketing communication synergy with the actual product so i was talking to the hungering boys when they were here and you know we were talking about their new restaurants and i was saying you know they always manage to keep everything very top secret like nobody knows what's happening and then suddenly like you know you'll see one new restaurant is opening up and i was like why do you kind of keep your cards so close and they gave me a very interesting answer which was that it's almost as if to reduce the pressure on yourself because he's like the minute you start like talking about it that pressure sort of builds up and it's undue pressure for the entire team do you feel the pressure of 
opening new restaurants does that still after so many years and opening so many restaurants do you still go through those motions i do i think eventually you know being a chef the ultimate objective is that one restaurant right is it still that it is still that that will always be the retirement plan right for me all these restaurants the 30 35 odd restaurants that you opened are all sort of getting you there that's how i look at it you know so okay what am i learning successful not so successful or i will take that call later but for me all this is eventually taking me towards that one restaurant they're going to open and say hafte mein teen din khula hai 20 seat hai <laughs> This seems to be like every chef's like ultimate dream. Usually, a beach or a mountain is involved. <laughs> It's like I'll go in the morning, I'll get the ingredients, and yeah. I'll cook this meal. Yeah, for me also. So they say that you're either a TV chef or a restaurant chef. Like people can either be one and can't be both. Do you agree? What are your views on that? I don't know, yar. I think it depends on how much of each do you do and what your aspirations are. But I definitely strongly believe that. being on tv is a very big responsibility and it's not easy for the current generation it is easier than for us who sort of now they're born with taking a selfie right for us it is more difficult probably but where i was coming to was being on tv is a responsibility because you're influencing a large number of people uh, with not just a single recipe or whatever you're influencing somebody with your views on something that you're passionate about something that is your religion food and you should not come on tv till you really have formed yourself as a chef till you've given enough time in understanding your relationship with food till you've cooked enough you know mat 10 12 years khana bana ke aao yaar so then you know there are all these young kids who come and they're like oh we want to be a celebrity chef how do we get there what are your thoughts on that i just tell them that you know you're probably just seeing the soap on the shelf you know like vikas kunal me we are soaps on the shelf you don't realize what it's taken for us to get on that shelf so you know there's a process for me it's very important because like i said it's responsibility are you influencing so many people and you want to be rooted and sure and you want to come from a place of reality truth objectivity and that only comes with time and experience experience yeah So I think that is for the TV chef bit for the restaurant chef bit for me fortunately the word restaurant chef by itself is changed we are seeing restaurants being opened by home chefs you don't need formal training to open restaurants so the definition of a restaurant chef by itself is changing but if it means somebody who needs to be at the restaurant and be cooking all the time and you don't have the energy on a day off to shoot then yeah you can't be both mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on social media? How do you keep up with it? Do you think about relevance? Does that take up any of your brain space? Okay, so this is first time um, publicly I'm going to acknowledge this. I don't have Twitter on my phone. I don't have Facebook on my phone, and my Instagram has a ten minute lock. Wow. For me, it's very simple. Yeah, I think it just takes up too much time and energy individually to do that. I think after a point in time. you need to always zoom out and look at yourself the brand and the projection you can't really help it but you are a brand that's being projected a certain way and you need to sort of look at the brand and at all times ensure that the projection is as close as possible to who you really are and that's where most of my time goes saying hey keep it real that's not me 
But this comes with experience. I mean, how do you... Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. this I can proudly say that for the last <laughs> four months, I have not had uh, Facebook and Twitter on my phone. But it comes with experience. It also comes with the will to say that come whatever may, we won't fake it. Saying this is not me, full stop. And that's what people connect with as well, right? Like the energy is quite transparent. Like people can pick up when something doesn't feel authentic anymore. My thought is that growing up, my generation had the quest for knowledge, right? Because knowledge wasn't accessible. The phones weren't there and you had libraries and books and you'd ask people around for recipes and this and that and everything. Knowledge was... It was like a thirst for knowledge. Yeah, knowledge was the asset, right? And knowledge is very tangible because you sort of know what you're looking for and you get it. Today's thirst or quest is not knowledge anymore. It's all around us. It's wisdom. It's wisdom to understanding what to pick up from these 20 options that you have. And wisdom is intangible. And when our quest of the future is wisdom, which is intangible, then you need to believe in energies, then you need to believe in reality, then you need to believe in feeling more than thinking and sort of believe that you're a human being and not a human want. So if the quest is intangible, then you know you really can't put an algorithm in everything. Then the connect becomes more important than the algorithm. And the number of likes and shares and views. What is the one thing about success that you know now that you wish you had known earlier? Refusing to acknowledge it. The fact that it's a journey and not a destination, I just thought I was successful too fast. If you strongly believe that success is a journey, this is okay, this is great, but we're sort of on to something, right? So what's next? That's what I thought if I knew earlier, then I'd be a better person. You thought that it was a destination earlier. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're like, like oh, you know, million. right, I have a restaurant, I'm 27, I have my own restaurant here in the US, in Boston, I'm, you know, making a lot of money, this, that, I'm successful. Now, what do successful people do? They sort of don't leave the quest for success because they realize that success is a journey. That is something that I've learned over a period of time. And something about money that you've learned now that you wish you knew earlier? I believe in two things. I believe in integrity and values. If you're honest, and if you work with honest people, you will get the value that you deserve. If you have your integrity in place, then you will attract integrity. And if you're surrounded by integrity, then you will get what you deserve. If you've grown up with a value system, people will value you. And unfortunately, in today's world, people value you with money. So be it. It falls in place. And you need to surround yourself with people who are able to do the counting and sort of tell you that you're spending too much, tell you that you're spending too less. But money is just a function of valuing people. I'm 45 <laughs> and I still say this. But <laughs> my only brief to my manager and my wife is, my card bounce not bounce me. I'm very strongly analytical. And everything for me is so like... So you won't do something just because it's paying well? No, no, no. And that's it. Paying well, I take zero calls on the kind of work that I should do. I look at a person and say, okay, man, I should do And that goes bad sometimes? Yes. you check it and you sort of redefine your, uh, uh, the way you look at people. Kali you, Emerson. So, uh, the simple thing that I've learned in life is, the human race, there's always a fight between transaction and values. You can choose to fight the transaction fight or you can choose to increase your value and let it come to you. So if you start being transactional, 
द वैल्यू सिस्टम गोज डाउन हिल तो आप अपने आप को भरते रहो आप कितना भरेंगे बहुत बहुत जगह भी तो दिखना चाहिए ना वो अपने आप दिखेगा आई नो इट्स वर्क उल्टा नो बडी बिलीव इट मेरी घर वाली बिलीव नहीं करती है तू कैसे तेरी गाड़ी चलती है बट चल रही है आई वॉज ऑन द एनालिटिकल बिट सो आई लव स्प्रेड शीट्स आई लव यूजिंग माई ब्रेन सो यू नो आई हैव अ फेयरली डिसेंट आई क्यू सो आई डू इट फॉर द मेंटल एक्सरसाइज बिट समी सेज हे मेरे पास इतना पैसा है मैं इसको कहाँ इन्वेस्ट करूँ ये 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 ऑप्शन हैं then i will sort of get into it not because it's a lot of money mm. but because it's a nice mental exercise so when somebody comes to me with a problem saying yaar ye hai abhi kya karna hai iska if there is analysis to be done i will do it i like deducing it money might be 1 rupee or 100 crores wo farak nahi padta to mereko wo bada acha lagta hai some places we won because of that as a team we won because of that because again you're able to pull yourself apart and analyze and look at things of what they are objectively and make the right decisions which were money decisions at that I point i feel for me like a lot of my like starting in the first at least 6 7 years of my career like i felt that oh money is bad bad in the sense that it's good but if you're working towards something and it's only transactional it's only about money then there's no passion in what you're doing or the creativity will not flow and like all these like weird random thoughts till i reached a stage where i was like no there has to be like a balance between both and both are necessary and it's, it's energy at the end of the day but both are not contradicting to each other that's i I'm know saying. but dimag mein aise it was Dekho, that dekho agar ye <laughs> we live in a fair world Do agar we? ye no but you assume like and say if you are in, if you believe in integrity then you believe in integrity right if this cup is let's say 20 rupees right that is its value it could also be 20 cookies it could also be five bags of rice doesn't really matter if we are fair to the person who has this cup to say bhai take these 20 cookies or 20 rupees and we have the cup right we know that we paid a fair price at that point in time the value of this is being paid in rupees or dollars or whatever it could have been paid in cookies also <laughs> i will not do anything for less money because i am honest in this is what i think my value is i will not pay anybody less than what they deserve because i think that's what their value is now i get it i'm completely honest agar koi mujhe bolta hai ki nahi the brief is that we will not go below this because this is what our value is and you know we give value we get the value we deserve we create a circle of integrity work with people who are who understand into that. that circle of integrity and just like i said the value unfortunately mm-hmm. gets delivered in dollars Could have been cookies. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to explain it with cookie chef. <laughs> that, was the, that, was the, that was the only thing missing. Okay, to lighter things, what are some of the food trends that you absolutely dislike right now? Right now, I think thankfully molecular gastronomy is dead. So otherwise, <laughs> that would have been the top of the list. Yeah. But other than that, I think fortunately we're moving into a more real world when it comes to food. We're moving into a grain-first world. We're moving into a provenance-first world. we're moving into an ingredient first world a micro cuisine first world which are all happy signs now you've explored the world of restaurants hotels television acting mentoring you won so many different hats throughout your career is there something you're dying to explore that you haven't yet do you ever think of legacy and what my legacy should be and all those thoughts nahi i am not in that game i'm not into collecting things you know and leaving legacies and the eventual measure is how many people speak about you when you're not there so you keep doing what you're doing and uh, hopefully what you stand for 
connects with people and what you stand for lives on yeah it's like um, maya angelo told oprah winfrey like many years ago that her legacy would not be her tv show or things like that but it would be the lives of every person that she's touched through her journey so i think that is actually थोड़े पैसे चाहिए time frame yeah i mean if the covid wouldn't have come it would have been next year but we pushed it by 3 years that hmm. soon of course so wait are you announcing how long to- will i dye my hair for <laughs> and and color my beard and sort of <laughs> so are you announcing to the world that you're moving to new zealand today aha uh-huh. new zealand walo unke liye bhi you know get ready that would be amazing hmm. and i will visit you oh, in absolutely. new zealand with no grey hair <laughs> i will be died thank you so much for this conversation good fun thank you i hope you like that episode and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on spotify apple podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast and this year we have video so search for pooja dingra on youtube and don't forget to like and share this video and subscribe to my channel so you don't miss an episode <laughs>